Okay, I think I'm live now. So it's 6.30 here in Missouri and uh, 7.30 Eastern Time, so it's time to begin. So I just want to say hello out there, Internet land. I, uh, I got a lot of good feedback on my last video, and I, I've decided to set uh, a time for all these live streams that I plan to do. I plan on doing this once a week. Now, every Thursday at around 6.30 Central. I figure at that, if I set it at that time, I won't be competing with all the big uh, churches and all the, and, it, you know, because I like watching at that time, too, as well. So uh, this works best for me, along with my work schedule, and uh, I plan on keeping the messages kind of short. Just want to say, uh, I know that Gabriel is out there uh, watching. I know Norm's out there watching. I know there's some folks on the uh, sermon audio stream. I don't, I didn't see anybody on the YouTube stream, but I haven't really uh, given anybody that link yet. So I, that's understandable. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. Today's study is the active decree of God. And on the last on the last live stream, I talked about superlapsarianism and all of its implications, its its theological implications and its practical implications. And I talked about the absolute predestination of of all things. The only type of predestination there is is absolute. And, uh, but that's not really been considered the case throughout the years. And one of the, one of the implications of superlapsarianism and the absolute predestination of all things is the will of God. And in my mind, it's been settled that there really is only one will of God. God's purpose, but it's popular in today's religion to talk about there being two wills of God, maybe more, depends on who you talk to, but the uh, average consensus, the consensus out there, doesn't matter who you talk to, Arminians, free willers, most Calvinists even, they will say that there are two wills of God. John Piper even has a paper entitled The Two Wills of God. And so what are these two wills that you, uh, that you might ask what they might are? And the, the general idea is that there is a will of desire and a decretive or a, a decretive will or a will of purpose. And so the obvious question is if there are two wills, one a will of desire and a will of purpose, and my fan on the computer here is heating up, so if I lose you, don't worry about it, I'll be back. But if there are two different wills, the, the question is, is then, does God get what he wants? That's the question that comes to my mind. And so ask yourself, do you think God always gets what he wants? In free willism, the, the answer is obviously no, because the idea is that God desires the, the, the salvation of all 
all people, but he's only purposed the salvation of some. Those he foresaw would accept the gift of the so-called gift of salvation and the, by exercising free will. And uh, so God is up there crying divine tears of frustration as uh, he hopes for all to be saved, but they don't. And he unfortunately has to send people to hell that he doesn't want to. That's the typical free will, free will theology. You'll find that taught in just about every church today that isn't sovereign grace. But even so-called so sovereign gracers believe that as well. Uh, so... I'm going to talk about that some today, and uh, so I'm going to, let me scroll down here in my notes. So, I'm just going to go straight to what the scriptures say about God's will, and I'm going to talk a little bit about evil and God being the author of sin as well, because that's, that's one that's always brought up in this discussion. So I'm going to start right off the bat with one of my favorite passages, Isaiah 45, 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, the uh, KJ, the King James Version, properly translates the Hebrew word "ra" as uh, evil, which encompasses more than just calamity. It in involves the wickedness of men as well. And you'll find that uh, many of the translations will translate raw as calamity, meaning it's just natural disaster. Yeah, God causes natural disaster, whatever you want to say, Brandon, but you know, he doesn't cause wickedness, he doesn't cause evil, he doesn't cause men to sin. Uh, but I'm going to keep reading scripture here. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass." I have purposed it. I will also do it. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? Amos 3.6 And here's one of my favorite passages. And this comes from the, from the New Testament. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, or dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created by him, and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Okay, here's another one. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he, he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs of lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in him and them that perish, because they receive not the love of truth, that they might be saved. And for this God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure pleasure and unrighteousness. Second Thessalonians two, seven through twelve. And uh, there's some more. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, here's one from Revelation. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Revelation 17, verses 16 and 17. He is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. Job 23.13 And then, here we are with Romans 8.28 Probably the, uh, my opinion, the crown jewel of all this. And one I turn to all the time, and one that comes to my mind when, when I'm in prayer, when I'm, re when I'm trying to encourage fellow brethren in times of sickness, in times of uh, disaster, and in times of whatever may befall them. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So, that's, that's not exhaustive. That's only an introduction into what scriptures say concerning the will of God. God causes all things. He creates all things. And he causes everything. He predestines all things. He absolutely determines all things. Everything is determined. And so the question comes up, is God the author of sin? Well, what kind of question is that? Ask yourself, where in Scripture is that question even asked? It's, it's not brought up at all. Does, is God the author of sin? I don't even know how to answer that question. Because it's, it's not even brought up in Scripture. But I know what men tend to mean by asking that question. The question that is often brought up in so many debates and discussions. Is God the author of sin? Or do you mean, is does God delight in evil? No, he does not delight in evil. He defines what evil is, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't approve of evil. He's not the approbator. He is the creator. He's the creator of evil, but that does, just because he creates evil and creates sin to, to fulfill his purpose, his purpose overall is good. God defines himself in terms of goodness. He does not define himself in terms of evil. And uh, so, I don't know why that, that distinction is so hard for men to understand. Just because God creates evil and causes sin, and causes all things really, that, that, that does not mean he delights or defines himself in sin or evil. But I know I will be accused of calling God the author of sin until 
ad, ad nauseum until I probably pass into the next world. And they'll probably continue to write about me, about how I taught that the God was the author of sin, whatever that means. No, please, if you're watching this, do not ask me if God... Do you believe God's the author of sin? No, I'm not answering that question. It's a stupid question because it's not a question that is asked in Scripture. <laughs> so I'm just going to stop talking about that right now. I don't even want to go there. Okay, so there's only one will of God. There is no will of desire. God always gets what he wants. What happens in this world is because God wants it. doesn't matter what it is. God wants it to happen because it fulfills his purpose, his, his decree of will, his will of purpose. There is God doesn't want in one hand and wish for something in the other and hope that, uh, no, he is an active participant in the things in this world. He is creating. He didn't just create and take his hands off the world and hope that everything would work out according to his desire. He... He is actively involved. If you're watching this video right now, God is actively causing the electrons in your eyeballs and holding your eyeballs into place in your eye sockets. That's how involved God is in this world. And it's right down to the minute detail. There's, there's not a thought, there's not a breath of air, there's not a raindrop that falls that God is not actively involved in. And if you begin to think for a second that God is not actively involved in all this, it becomes a very scary world. And that is the world that most evangelicals and most religionists find themselves in. They are terrified of what is coming. When sickness comes upon them, and even sovereign grace believers, myself, I even tend to be this way, we, we are terrified because, well, we don't know what's coming. But we shouldn't be terrified. We know that God's got everything in control. But if you're not a sovereign free grace believer, you don't always you don't always believe that or understand that. And it's kind of scary. But not only does uh, a misunderstanding of God's will lead to lead to fearfulness. It also leads to all kinds of doctrinal errors. And I'm going to talk about these briefly because these errors are pervasive even amongst sovereign grace believers. And pro probably because of tradition. Uh, and I know many of my brethren, my brothers and sisters in Christ, they, they still hold to some of these things. We don't have all of our theology perfect. I'm still learning. We're all still learning together, but I'm just going to hit on some of them. Obviously, the, uh, the one of the things that I've, you know, that I know that most of my believers, my fellow believers, can agree with me on is the idea of the Big Bang, origin of the universe, and evolutionism that comes from that. This teaching is considered indisputable fact by most scientists, by most politicians, by almost everybody. You turn on the TV, you can't hear about the Big Bang Theory. You know, that is, that's a theory that's apparently uh, gaining uh, rapid uh, acceptance. Popular. 
acceptance in uh, circles, even Calvinistic circles today. And that, I believe, is also leading to the air of preterism and preterist, the preterist Gnosticism that you see. The, you know, there is no special intervention by God in this world in respect to, you know, this Earth's origins. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, uh, there's, an, there's a denial of God's preservation of this material planet. And uh, preterism is a very serious error. It uh, says that redemption is just spirit. There's no material redemption. There's no future resurrection. It really is uh, Gnosticism, modern-day Gnosticism. And that's one of the errors that I think that comes from the denial of the of the uh, uh, the decree of will and and the the single uh, act of decree. Uh, let's see. I, I would say premillennialism and postmillennial uh, eschatology finds its origin in the uh, permissive will of God. Is God not able to save all of His elect in in this present historical process? Is the power of the Holy Spirit in the age of the gospel not enough? Well, talk to some post-millennialists and they'll tell you no. Uh, <laughs> so he's going, he's going to change from a more permissive will in this, uh, in this present age and uh, to a more direct will in the future. So post-millennialism is one, one of those errors that I think that comes from uh, the denial of uh a singular act of decree. Denial also leads to a denial of God working miracles through even demons in order to deceive. As we've read in one in the earlier was as we read in the one scriptural passage that God, you know, causes people to believe a lie. How does he do that? Is it possible that he does that through uh, deceptive means in churches? Can God can you go to a Benny Hinn, uh, one of these Word of Faith uh, uh, meetings, and have God heal somebody through a false teacher? Why would we, he say he could not do that? Uh, you know, that doesn't just because somebody's healed doesn't mean uh, God didn't want that to happen in order to deceive. Uh, common grace is one that uh, stems its stems from a uh, denial of the uh, act of decree of God. Common grace finds its root in the idea that God loves everybody, and even, you know, in combination with the free or willing to offer, wants everybody to be saved, but uh, he doesn't. He's secretly decreed only a certain number. So, common grace and the free or well-meant offer finds its error, finds its root in this awful error that there is only the denial of only one will of God. They, everybody who believes in common grace, everybody who believes in the free or well-meant offer believes in two wills of God. And I, I challenge you to find me somebody who believes in common grace or common wrath that does not, that that only believes in one will.
Okay. And here are some other uh, here are some other things that errors that I believe are heavily prevalent today, but but just because you believe them doesn't mean you're not a believer. I just think they're prevalent in sovereign grace circles. I hear it preached all the time from people I love, and uh, but I, I have my disagreements out with with folks. The idea that Satan and the demons fell from heaven. Where is this taught in Scripture? There is a passage. There are some passages in Isaiah, Jeremiah, talks about Lucifer falling, but. I'm not convinced this is Satan and all of his demons that fell from heaven. And uh, I believe this; these passages refer to the kingdom or a king of Babylon. And uh, so I, Milton's Paradise Lost is a very popular book that I believe really got that theory rolling. But uh, also... It stems from an idea that there is a secret desire of God, and a the two will say, I believe, leads to that. <sighs> Let's see. Same way with Adam and Eve. The idea that God created Adam and Eve in a perfect state of holiness, and uh, that they fell from this holiness against his will, that is something that is uh, taught. You'll hear, I've heard preach from the pulpit, Adam is the only one who truly had free will. No, he did not have free will. God uh, determined for him to fall. And uh, so, I, 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 I do not believe that Adam was perfectly righteous before the fall. I believe he had an inclination to sin, or you could say he was a sinner because he had an inclination. Uh, but I, I think before you can even study the fall, you got to get you got to get this part right: the idea that there is only one will of God. Number three, the imputation of Adam's sin to the entire human race. I deny that. I do not. I do not believe that Adam's sin has been imputed to every single human being. I believe that Adam represented only the elect, only the elect human beings in his rebellion. But he wasn't even. He wasn't their substitute. And when he fell, his sin was not imputed to them. There was only. There are only two imputations in the entire Scripture. If you read Second Corinthians five twenty one, it's pretty clear. There's. There's the imputation of God's elect to Christ and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to the elect. God creates evil in every elect soul. And uh, and every, every human being that is born is born in, in, in evil and depravity. But the elect are, uh, were only represented by Adam, in the sense that uh, they fall in exactly the same way he fell. They uh, one day find that they uh, have transgressed God's law, and they, they find, they look around and they've discovered that they are filthy, rotten, naked sinners, and they need his righteousness. That is the picture that is given in the fall, 
And like Adam, all of us, all of us are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is, that is what's, that's the picture in Genesis. And uh, I've got an article about that. I go into it a lot, lot more in depth. I might make a future video about that. And finally, traducianism. Traducianism is the notion that eternal human beings are created with, uh, through the biological sexing of the parents and that sin is transmitted through the genes. And uh, I believe this was uh, formulated only to deny uh, the sinful nature that is inherited by every human being. Uh, and it's, it's, it was created to deny the, uh, the idea that God's the direct cause of sin in people. And so, I, you know, I am not a traducianist. I'm a creationist. God has created everything. I do not believe there is a sin principle that is transmitted in the genes. And uh, that's another video. <laughs> but anyway, I'm putting this out there. Some of that might be new to you. Some of that uh, might be shocking to you. But... I, I want to affirm that God is, uh, again, in directly, directly in control of everything. He's caused everything. And there is nothing that happens that he does not want or desire. The idea that he desires something that he can't have, the two wills theory, it's heresy in my opinion. It's false teaching. And... Uh, it's, it needs to be corrected. If, if you're a believer and you believe that God's getting something that he doesn't want or he's not getting something that he wants, then you need to study up on this and uh, learn more about uh, the truth. And uh, that's all I really have to say about that today. I've gone on a little bit longer than I intended. Uh, there's a lot to take in on this, but yeah, I would appreciate comments. You can email me at brandon at pristinegrace.org. You can go to pristinegrace.org and uh, study up on it. There are lots of articles out there. You can come on the forum. You can talk about it. You can send me a text message. There, there's all kinds of ways to contact me, and uh, that's all I got. I'm headed to Ashland, Kentucky this weekend for a time of worship and fellowship in the gospel. Hope to hear Jim Bird speaking. And uh, I hope to come, I'll be traveling all the way down 64 through Louisville, through past Lexington to the tri-state area. And uh, I, uh, I'm looking forward to that. And I'll come back on Monday. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this message. And, uh, you know... I'm, I am looking at the camera, but I've got two videos here, so it uh, uh, depends on which one I put up. You'll see my face on. So, anyway, that's all I got. Thanks for watching, and have a great day. Bye-bye.